No, some of your segues are better than others, and that one stunk. Yeah, I feel like all of my segues are bad. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, library manager and perpetually jacked into a uh, simulacrum of comfort and not horrible gruel food. Uh, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I am known as Peter Romberg, and I am here to show you that that simulacra is merely a simulation. Because I, too, have read Baudelaire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, And we are here to talk to you all about The Matrix uh, from the 1999 OG all the way up through The Matrix Resurrections, which just dropped on HBO Max a week ago, I Mm -hmm. believe. Yes, and also in theaters at that same time. Yeah, but who's going to the theaters? Uh, I I went and saw it in a theater. There were like 20 other people in the entire house, and I wore a mask the whole time. Because you are a smart and reasonable human. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, you are an adult and you are free to make your own decisions. I have been hearing of way too many people that I know who are getting COVID despite being fully vaxxed. So I'm afraid that movie theaters are off the table for me until Omicron calms itself down. Yep. And I don't go into work in person. So that exposure uh, yeah. vector is not there for me. So I'm like, I can oh. go to a movie. Uh, yeah. yeah, that would change the metric for me. Right. But anyway, before we do a deep dive into this seminal piece of media, uh, we are going to talk real quick about what is stuck in our heads this week. This is the piece of media or pop culture that we just can't stop thinking about. That is not the thing that we are here to talk about today. Eat. what is stuck in your head? Uh, I, I was hemming and hawing on on having this be what is stuck in my head because it is the it is also the piece of media that I literally finished consuming moments before uh, l- jumping on this call and getting all our recording set up. Uh, but I think it is what's stuck in my head. It is uh, the final volume, uh, volume four of four of Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans's graphic novel series Die. Um, I th- we may or may not have talked about this on the show. I can't remember. Uh, Kieran Gillen of uh, The Wicked and the Divine fame uh, wrote the book. Stephanie Hans illustrated it. It is about a series of kids who, uh, as kids in Britain in the 90s, uh, get sucked into a uh, tabletop role-playing game, Jumanji style. A couple, two years later, all but one of them get out. And uh, then you know, go about living the rest of their lives until in their 40s, they are all summoned back into the world of the game and I'll have to confront all their deep, dark uh, fears and, you know, traumas and repercussions of things they did as children and the fact that they uh, left one of their buddies behind. Uh, The fourth volume is fantastic. Um, All all the volumes are fantastic. If you are a fan of um, any of Kieran Gillen's works, graphic novels as a medium of storytelling or role-playing games at all, I'd highly encourage you to check out Die. 
Uh, and, uh, unexpectedly, but also through line through the whole book, so not that unexpectedly, a uh, bit of a trans narrative, uh, which we'll be getting into as we talk about The Matrix. Uh, a lot of the fourth episode talks about how, or, or, or fourth volume talks about how role-playing games can be used to explore different facets of identity, including, uh, possibly bird queer identities. Um, which is entirely relevant, as I said, to The Matrix. One of the things that I really, really loved about this series, and I thought that the fourth volume put a really lovely button on this, is that it approaches tabletop role-playing as something that is important mm-hmm. to these characters. Like, it is, it is a foundational thing for them like it's how they socialize it is how they kind of engage it for for the the main character it's like the way that they are able to engage with a lot of their sort of deep-seated issues and identity and all of this and i i think that i mean i i've been pretty open on this podcast i think that kieran gillen is one of the best if not the best writer in comics currently working Mm -hmm. um and i just i truly love the way that he respects the mediums that he writes about because a a lot of his work is kind of themed around a kind of expression or a kind of medium and it always comes from a place of like deep-seated love and respect and as somebody who plays role-playing games pretty frequently i thought it was really touching how he treats role-playing games as this really like keystone important thing for these characters. Absolutely. And and the flip side of it too is looking at it as like what happens when it becomes like when even that becomes an all-consuming identity and how how like the like the the practice of playing role-playing games is can be so critical to to socializing or to working out your own identities, but also if it becomes an all-consuming thing itself that that can be a problem in and of itself as well. I think that's sort of here uh, as as we get into the main character, you know, th- things happening in the in the fourth volume uh, that the main character has to confront about sort of the um, the siren call of staying in the fiction role playing world versus having to bring that out then into the real world. Um, yeah, I th- I think it's important to the world of Die that while role playing is an important thing it should not be the important thing mm-hmm. like yeah like family and um you know career and like the other ways that you live your life are also very important yes and i think die kind of engages very directly with what can happen when you are f- like forced to kind of deal with maybe you have been using role playing games as a crutch to- Yes, to to hide from or um, avoid real life issues and how that um, is also not great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought this book was really impressive. I. um, Yeah, it was one of my favorites of the year, which we may talk (laughs) about again next week. Who who can say? Who can say? (laughs) Uh, Martha, what is stuck in your head this week? So I finally watched the pilot of Yellow Jackets, which is a show on Showtime that is airing right now on Sundays. It is about, it has two narratives. One of them is taking place in the 90s about a varsity soccer, a girls varsity soccer team 
that is on their way to nationals when their plane goes down uh, in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And then the other narrative is happening currently, and it deals with uh, a handful of these women who are now like adults and living their lives and um, how they have kept what happened while they were in the pilot. This is not a spoiler. It, they tell you in the pilot uh they were trapped in the woods for 19 months does before be- anybody found them does this become like in a live situation like we were doing some horrible things to you know to survive in the mountains oh yeah, yeah there okay. are definitely it is it is peak martha it is <laughs> somebody reached into my brain and said hey martha really liked that show the wilds that came out earlier this year what if that but more satanic rituals and cannibalism. Ooh, somebody somebody duct taped glass to their knuckles and punched out a wolf, but it wasn't boring. It was actually cool. Probably. The <laughs> opening the opening scene of this show is a girl is a girl, you don't know who it is, a girl running through the woods, trips, fallen falls into a pit trap, gets pulled out by another girl throat slit oh. on the fire full on cannibalism <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yes uh melanie uh melanie linsky is in this show um juliet lewis is in this show oh. christina ricci is in this show oh i, I assume I, they're, they're playing the uh the adult versions of all these girls correct mm-hmm um, so now I'm in a position because the only episode that you can watch for free on Amazon Prime is the pilot. So I have to decide when I'm going to pull the trigger to sign up for my show, t- my free seven days of Showtime, so that I can watch Man, the rest the, of this show. The, the 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 pettiest first world problem I have right now is whenever I want to watch anything on streaming, I Google search name of movie streaming, and so I was like, yeah, you can totally watch it on Hulu or Amazon Prime with the bonus subscription to Showtime. It's like. Okay, this is the worst. <laughs> yeah, my my very petty first world problem is everything that's on Apple Plus. Because... Yeah, I I pulled the trigger on Apple Plus for specifically for that reason. Uh, yeah, I know you. But did. once once I watch Wolf Walkers, maybe I'll get into that game design show with Danny Pudi. But if if I don't, I'll watch Wolf Walkers, uh, which is a animated movie by the same studio that did Secret of Kells, uh, and then I'm canceling that subscription. <laughs> Yeah, watch Ted Lasso one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got, got, got Ted Lasso. I got like two episodes left on Ted Lasso. Watched it all foundation. That's kind of what I was there for. So, yeah. All right. We are going to take a quick recess. And when we come back, it's going to be all Matrix all the time, baby. we are back so uh right at the top here just gonna give y'all a heads up we are going to be spoiling the entirety of the matrix resurrections so if that is something that you would prefer uh not to hear i recommend that you pause this episode go and watch it and then come back we promise we will be here when you are when you have returned 
Again, take, um, the, take the blue pill if you don't want to know what happens in Matrix Resurrections. I personally feel very strongly that this movie benefits from knowing as little as possible going into it. I'm already mad at like the IMDb page for spoiling what I think is sort of a key surprise in the huh. movie. Um, but yeah, so pause, go watch it. Um, but we are going to start back in 1999 with the OG film, The Matrix, which was written and directed by the Wachowski sisters uh, before they came out as trans. Um, you know, what's wild is that even now on HBO, all three Matrix movies dead names them. Really? Like you, yeah. Like you'd, you'd think they'd go and like update that or whatever, but nope. I'm really disappointed, actually. That's... I have no idea who or what is in control of that. Maybe it's some like director's guild thing, whatever. I have no further knowledge other than I watched the third Matrix like two days ago. I'm pretty sure that if you go like buy DVDs of the of the Matrix trilogy, they are now being printed with Hmm. Lana and Lily's like actual names. Hmm. Hmm. So that sucks. Yeah. HBO fix that. Um, But anyway, the Matrix 1999 is about a computer programmer named Thomas Anderson who goes by Neo in the hacker sphere. Uh, he gets identified by Car- or he is played by Keanu Reeves. He gets identified by Carrie Ann Moss, who is playing Trinity, as um, a potential teammate. Yeah, so, someone who might be <laughs> willing to see the reality of the world. Because the fact of it is that we are all human batteries that are born into pods of jelly in order to feed the machines. Heck yeah. Uh, the original trilogy is about uh, Neo, Neo's ascent to becoming the Christ-like figure who eventually brokers peace between the machines and the humans, allowing a small cadre of natural-born people to continue living and also granting them the opportunity to free willing minds from the matrix while unwilling minds are allowed to continue living in the uh, false reality that the machines have built for them. The the original movie is literally a hero's journey for the hacker age and also a bunch of like awesome wireworks that uh, entirely shaped how Hollywood looks for the next 20 years. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we're going to get yeah. we're going to get into how these movies changed everything. Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh and now between so between then and now, we have the Animatrix which came out in a time. 2003. 2003, so right around when 2 and 3 were being released. June 3rd, uh, which is a collection 2003. Of, which is a collection of animated shorts that are canonical to The Matrix, so some of them tie in very directly to plot events that happen in the movies. Some of them are just sort of um, side stories that help explain various parts of The Matrix. Um, some of it are just like cool like little world-building yeah. bits. Um there's there's the one that looks like it was made by uh, the Aeon Flux team uh, that is just like a story set in the Matrix world, and it's kind of neat. And then it ends, and you're like, cool, that was cool, and you move on. And then we also have The Matrix Online, which mm-hmm. was an online video game that 
came to a premature end, I believe, um, but which has plot elements that are also canonical, such as the death of Morpheus, which happened in this online game. There was also the 2003 video game Enter the Matrix, which was also canonical, and which one of the Animatrix episodes tied into, and which explained everything that was going on with Niobe in the movies. Um, I believe there are also, yes, I believe there are also comics that play this. The point is... They were super into, like, the transmedia idea of, like, this story is being told over everything, so to really know what's going on, you have to consume all of it. Which is but, kind of cool for the Matrix, but is also exhausting and terrible. Um, but as somebody who has only consumed the film aspects of this, yes, I I did not personally lose anything in my understanding of what was going on. But we'll get no. into that. So, 2021 rolls around, and. Over 20 years after the release of the original Matrix, we now have The Matrix Resurrections, which was written and directed by Lana Wachowski without Lily, uh, who gave the project her blessing, but said that that was not a part of her creative life that she wanted to relive or revisit, um, and deals with uh, the story of Thomas Anderson, who is a very successful video game designer. Uh, who made his made his name designing the wildly popular video game The Matrix Trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can hear the joy in your voice as you're describing this summary. <laughs> I love it so, I love it so much. Um, but yeah, so Neo is back. We find out how he came to be alive again. Trinity is back, but she doesn't know him. Uh, the Matrix Resurrections is another story about self-discovery, about figuring out what is real, about how deciding how we want to engage with reality. Um, and yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it now. Um, before we get into the most recent incarnation, I would like us to very briefly discuss the importance or lack thereof that is also valid of the first movie, the first iteration of this property, what role did the Matrix play for you? We were, well, I was 12. Yeah, so I I know for a fact that the Matrix is the first thing I ever saw on DVD, and it's the first R-rated thing I saw, probably, but I didn't see it all the way through. Um, A a cousin, uh, you know... Uh, had gotten a DVD player for Christmas, probably like 2000, 2001. Um, and like was showing us all these cool clips from all the, from like this cool, awesome movie that he had on DVD on his brand new DVD player. And then, uh, you know, my mom, his aunt came in and was like, what are you doing showing your cousins this? It's rated R. It's too violent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, like, The Matrix is a formative movie. I can't, other than that that strong memory of, like, watching, like, the lobby scene, you know, at my, my cousin's place on DVD. And the, and the cool thing there was, like, he went to the chapter selection menu and selected the lobby scene. Whoa! <laughs> DVDs! <laughs> um, uh, so, like, beyond that memory, um, I can't tell you when I like sat down and watched The Matrix for the first time because in a way it has just always been part of like my my pop culture cultural zeitgeist. Um it is 
it is as much like a foundational urtext as Star Wars or Lord of the Rings for like for nerddom writ large and for uh, my particular brand of nerddom. Um, and partly that's because it blends cool AF 90s hacker culture and aesthetics with a uh, freshman dorm uh, <laughs> nonsense philosophy, which I'm like, yes, both of these are cool. Uh, give more of these in films, please. Uh, and, you know, in addition to its main three, it's also got Hugo Weaving and Joey Pants. And, you know, let's just get both of them in more movies, please. Can we just say Joey, Joe, Joe, Joe Pantoliano? Yes, so yeah, there we go. You're Joe, talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And spe speaking of, more importantly, Carrie Ann Moss, between the Matrix movies and especially the most recent one, where has she been and why has she not been in more things? This is she was on she was on I, Jessica she was in Jones. Jessica Jones and and what I was saying and that was where has she been? Why is she not in more things? Carrie oh, yeah, Moss, no, let's go. Truly, like it is kind of a big injustice that Keanu Reeves gets to have the career that he does, and Carrie Ann Moss is not equally famous because she is brilliant. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I also don't remember the first time that I saw The Matrix. I do remember going to the theater to see Matrix Reloaded mm -hmm, because same. by the time that came out, I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. um, you were yeah, a like, sophomore and I was a freshman, I think. I had a friend who did Hugo Weaving's monologue to Lawrence Fishburne as his like junior high theater kid audition piece. This is his like, you people are viruses. Yes. Stink. Yeah. Great. Yes. That's... Humanity is a virus. <laughs> so yeah, just imagine a like 12-year-old kid on stage reciting that in perfect sincerity. First off, that's adorable. Second off, you know college <laughs> kids were doing that monologue as their oh, like, yeah, you know, audition sure. pieces. Yeah. It's a great it's a great bit of monologuing. Yes, here's the thing. The Matrix it it is kind of interesting to think about this because of what the subject matter of the movie is. But the Matrix reshaped pop culture. Like, nothing was the same after it. I, my very strong soapbox is that I believe that The Matrix is the defining zeitgeist movie for our generation, for mm -hmm. millennials. Mm -hmm. um, I think that continues to be true with the newest one, and we will get into that in a minute. But the first one so perfectly encapsulates the balance between the fear and also the symbiosis that we have with technology. <laughs> Like, it is both something that we fear and also something that we need to survive. Yeah, it's also, it, it's, it is, first off, co-signed everything you just said. Second off, it is, it is even more of a defining zeitgeist movie because it is, it is, on top of all that, a a generic hero story popcorn flick. So in many ways, you can read or misread whatever your own nonsense is into the matrix so that's why it becomes like a capstone urtext for both like trans rights movements and alt-right movements which we'll get into but um like that sort of I, that's i kind of take issue with the fact that you call it a generic movie I mean, I... So not, not like it, it is a it is a a hero's journey narrative and like at like Ish. If, if you were gonna break like just the first matrix like the first matrix hews pretty closely to like the Campbellian hero's journey storytelling arc um on top of that is all of the other stuff all the philosophy all of the 
uh, you know, pre like the Y2K technology fears, all the all the cool hacker stuff going on. But like if you drill down to just like what is happening in Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, it's a pretty like classic hero's story, like hero's journey. I get caught on the part where I don't think that there's a refusal of the call in this movie. Like he, even he totally when... refuses the call. He he dro- drops the cell phone, says, oh, no way, and then goes, gets arrested, and then has his first conversation with Smith, uh, where he gets his mouth uh, yeah. covered up. This is, I, I'm going to be honest with you, this is not a debate I'm super interested in having because I'm, I'm, I'm with bored you of 100- Joseph Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you 100%, which is why I didn't want to be like, so in this scene, it's this part, and in like, that scene, I it's kind that part. Of... I would kind of really love it if showrunners would stop well, feeling well, the need here's, to make literally everything. Here, here's the thing. Matrix 2 and 3, and 4 for that matter, are total subversions and explosions of the hero's journey. Which is why, like, Matrix 2 especially is so fascinating of a film. Is that it? it is explicitly subverting and exploding the idea of the hero's journey narrative. Um... But we're not going to get into that because we don't want to talk too much about the hero's journey. Uh, I just I, think truly, it's, it's I'm really. So bored of it. I just think it's really fascinating <laughs> that they made like a you know Star Wars is a classic hero's journey story for the seventies. The Matrix is that for the nineties and and aughts. Uh, and then what did they do three years later? Blow it all up because they didn't want to tell hero's journey stories. Um, which you know it's like that's wild in a good way. Um. But yeah. So. This and I also think very, very strongly that the Matrix has always been way too earnest to belong to Gen X. Like even hmm. even prior to the Matrix Four, like, like the, the Matrix at the end of the day is so deeply about feeling. Like the the <laughs> about Waka- your feelings. The Wachowski love conquers all. Neo comes back with a kiss. Kind of idea. Like is too. Yeah, like, there's nothing ironic about these movies. They are so deeply earnest, and they are so ultimately about the way that people feel about things. Like, the reason that people escape the Matrix is because they're like, this don't feel right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I think a lot I think a lot of people got tripped up with the coolness of Matrix 1, that they didn't realize that it was as heartfelt as it is. Uh, and then sure. Ma- Matrix 2 and 3, like, Matrix 3 is just all heartfelt. Matrix 2 as well, but, like, 3 especially is, like, just raw emoting, uh, beating raw binary code. Um, and well, and, and I, I think that's that's one of the reasons that, that people didn't vibe with it in the same way. But and then, and then we come to Matrix 4, where Lana is just like... It's We're, always been a love story. <laughs> We're going to process all of our emotions right now. <laughs> um, so, yes. I The Matrix has always been a very important movie for me. I think it speaks to the way that I feel about the world that we live in. I think it speaks to a lot of feelings that I see echoing in friends of mine. I think it was a deeply prescient movie when it came out. Um, and I... Um, had nothing but profound excitement when I heard that they were making a fourth movie. So I, I will say, um, I, I also had nothing but profound excitement when I heard they were making a fourth movie, but that's partly because I had been engaged. There has been a critical reevaluation of matrix two and three in the past. I'm going to go five years. Um, 
And engaging with that and rewatching Matrix 2 with that reevaluation in mind all helped me get more excited for 4. I think that if I had seen 2 and 3 in theaters in 2003, never thought about them again, continued to enjoy The Matrix 1 because it's good, um, I don't think I would have been as excited about 4 as I was. Uh, and I don't know if you have a similar thought. I don't know if you left Matrix 2 or 3 being as disappointed as 90% of the film-going public seemed to have been. I will be honest with you. I remember going to see them in theaters. I don't remember feeling negatively about them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of have always been willing to meet a piece of media like where it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like. These were just like I, I always just think it's cool when I get to spend more time, like when I get to hang out with characters that I like sure, again. Sure, totally. Um I I do think that they benefit from being able to watch them closer together than four years apart. Um and I also think they benefit from knowing what you're getting into now. I, I think that's the big thing with two and three is having seen it once, watching it again. They're so much better. If you are, and, and we were talking about this before we, we started recording, um, I totally understand why film-going audiences in 2003 walked into Matrix 2 and walked out being like, what was that? That was not what I expected, um, and I don't like it. Uh, and then especially Matrix 3, same thing. Um, watching Cowards. It, like, what, Cowards, what, all of them. I'm, I'm pretty sure I left Matrix 2 really jazzed up and excited because the highway fight scene is like one of the best fight scenes in cinema. Um, Morpheus Kurosawa's a car and it's cool. Um, but Matrix 3, I I remember in theaters being like, this is not working for me. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that when I saw Matrix 3, I got very caught up in the Jesus of it all. I and- th- This is going to sound... Um, this is very me. I know for a fact that I was reading Dune Messiah around the time that Matrix 3 came out because I was just like, oh, it's just like Paul and Dune Messiah where, spoiler alerts, he goes blind, but he can still see because of his prescient vision. They're just ripping off that um, because that's exactly what like 14 year old Pete would have thought. Uh, yes. <laughs> and been obnoxious about. Yeah. Yes. Um, I would like to talk about the fourth one now. And I would like to talk about the fourth one for approximately six hours. Uh, good. I was going to say, uh, this is um, going to be our longest episode. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's go. We say that a lot. <laughs> um, so first off, I thought that the opening of this movie was brilliant and tells you exactly where this movie is coming from mm-hmm. and what you are about to be in for. The opening of this movie is a shot for shot retread, but with different actors of the opening of the first movie. And I thought I was losing my mind. I loved I was it like, so much. When, when no, Yaya- no, so did I. Yeah. But at first I was like, are they just... Because because it is different actors, my first thought was, are we just redoing doing this again? But no, then it turns out to be important that it's different people. Like... Our, our POV character ends up being somebody else who is looking outside of the simulation. Our POV character is Bugs, uh, who is played by the amazing 
um, uh, Jessica, Jessica Henwick. Uh, yep, she's and, great. Yeah, blue blue haired hacker who is playing the sort almost the Morpheus. Like this movie has Morpheus in it, but he's a computer program. Don't worry about it. Um, Which she's was kind also of playing the brilliant. Morpheus role. Yeah, <laughs> I love that uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen the second has now played two. Um, two famous characters from other previous works in a new body doing a new thing in the past, like, two years. The previous one being, of course, Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen. Um, but yeah, the, this whole this movie's whole deal is what if the first one, but this time you don't have plausible deniability about the fact that it's about feelings. <laughs> uh, it is, like... This one, it is, it is like the whole, we get so many people monologuing about the importance of human emotion and how human emotion ruins everything, but then it also saves everything. Um, so as, as, as we were talking about off, off air and maybe a little bit on air, um, Lana Wachowski agreed to do this project in part because as is coming out now and as literally the text of the film lampshades uh warner brothers was basically like listen we're gonna make make matrix movies with or without you so uh let's go um but also because uh the wachowskis had lost both their parents very recently and this was one of the the read on it from a lot of people is that this was a way for lana to sort of like throw herself into the work and and process the grief in that way so the movie is dedicated to their parents and uh at the end uh with the dedication of the parents is a quote uh, this is at the very end of the end credits, uh, quote, love is the genesis of everything. Um, and I think that that is like the keystone text for both this film and the Wachowski career writ large. Um, oh, but yeah. it is definitely like the keystone text for this movie. Um, um, literally, if if Neo and Trinity get too close to each other, both IRL or in the <laughs> Matrix, they blow it up <laughs> because their yes. love is just so strong, uh, which love- is which is great. <laughs> Well, and I love that this movie really throws into relief that if, like, I think at the end of the day, if Neo could just run away and have a life with Trinity, he would absolutely say, F the Matrix, you can have it, we gotta go. That's literally what he did at the end of the second movie. At the end of the second movie, it's like, listen, you can save everyone or you can save Trinity. And he's like, saving Trinity, bye. Yes. And this movie, I felt it was very clear that the kind of, well, and in the first one, this is also not metatextual. It is overt textual. But (laughs) Trinity is the one who was like, but what if we saved everyone? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for saving me. But also. Yes. Um, I would like to talk very briefly about Jonathan Groff as the Uncanny Valley uh, Agent Smith. I I thought he was so good. Yes, incredible. So, um, Marin is not as excited about the matrices as we are and has not seen this yet. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make her watch it because I think she'll enjoy it. And low-key, my two ins are Jonathan Groff and Neil Patrick Harris. You like them, right? Mm? Uh, And go from there. So Neil Patrick Harris was the role that I had spoiled for me by IMDb. Oh, bummer. Yes. Well, it's like spoiled that he was uh, a baddie or the baddie. Well, 
I was going to say, they call him the analyst sure, in the credits. Sure. And I'm like, you're like, mm, oh, that's you know, a, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a Matrix term. The, th- the thing is, though, <laughs> in, in any other movie, the analyst would be the name of like generic. He's only in act one, maybe a bit in act two, doesn't have a name. You know, we got Neil Patrick Harris because he's a good actor kind of role. But in the Matrix, it's like, oh, yeah. All right. We got the Oracle. We got the architect. We got the analyst. Cool. We, yeah. uh, we have the Merovingian who's back in this, uh, who yes. I, I did not Love understand it. a word that he said. Um, no, I don't think it matters. No, it doesn't matter. He's just oh, like, he's like I French watch- nonsense. I was watching with subtitles on. So. Ah, okay. Uh, I, um, yeah, so he was probably just doing like, Mid, uh, 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 No, he, he, com- he complains about how they used to have culture. Right, and I think I got that. Oh, he's a cancel culture bro. Cool. Ruined everything. Ne- Neo canceled him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I yes. I, I just watched uh, Benedetta the other night, which also has uh, uh, Christopher Lambert, not Christopher Lambert, um, Lambert Wilson in it. Uh, so I got two, like, he's having a good year. I got him in two wildly different films. Uh, he's the one who plays uh, the Merovingian. Yeah, I, I got that part. Yeah, context clues. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, what I what I really thought was interesting about this movie is that in a lot of the way, in a lot of ways, it is the same as the original. Like we are still dealing very heavily with perceptions of reality and what makes something real, and like our relationship to technology and all of that. But this one felt again very strongly filtered through a much more earnest and sincere lens. Like, I think the first one is very, very earnest. And this one is, this one is like, no, let me put the gun down and tell you how deadly serious I'm being. (laughs) Um, I, I read a lot of reviews. So, so the reviews I read spoiled like the first 30 minutes of the movie, basically, which is totally fine for reviews to do. Um, so, like, I knew going in that The Matrix was a video game and that Neo was the game designer. That's fine. Who cares? Um, a, a lot of the reviews were also comparing the first half of this movie to Force Awakens of just the idea of, like, we're doing a retread of a popular media, like a popular, um, you know, franchise. Ooh. And and like we're just kind of hitting the same beats. But then all the uh. reviews, all the reviews basically <laughs> said after the first half-ish, you know, like, depending on where you want to make that cleavage line, um, it becomes not Force Awakens. And, like, no shade on Force Awakens, but, like, Force Awakens is a bit of a retread situation. It's, um, I was gonna say, this... This, this movie starts feeling, starts off feeling like it could be a retread, and then throws that curveball maybe 45 minutes in, basically when Neo, like, totally rejects the blue, like, rejects the red pill the first time around. I think that that is when it's like, oh, we're going to do something very different. I truly think that you are not giving this movie enough credit because I think this movie wants you to make that comparison to The Force Awakens, but then mm-hmm. it also kind of makes you feel bad about making that comparison. Well, like, that, again, new, like new I, Morpheus, new Morpheus has a line where he very explicitly says, "Like nostalgia is good for anxiety." Yeah, like yeah. this movie is making fun of. I don't think it's making fun just, of. I I think it's like we're we're gonna start this movie giving you all that nostalgia, 
to 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 settle you down think... and to chill you out so that when we start throwing the curveballs at you, you're gonna no. be in a happy place and can no, can I'm sorry, roll with you're it. you are wrong. The the quote unquote retread elements that are in this movie are just askew enough that I don't think it ever wants you to feel comfortable with them. I think it wants you to feel like you're walking into a room that you've lived in your whole life, but everything is like three inches to the left. Whoa, deja vu. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I don't think this movie is trying to be a retread for familiarity or nostalgia's sake. I think Oh, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. Very, very like very, very purposefully is trying to knock you off balance by the fact that you almost want to feel that way, but it's just off enough that you can't. I I I first off, I completely agree that this movie doesn't want to be that, and I don't think it is that either. But like the the opening sequence that is a a you know pitch perfect recreation of the opening sequence of the first movie, but with like Yaya Abdul Mateen saying, um, uh, Elrond's lines. Um, it, it's, it's like, cool. We're doing something different, but also like, I'm kind of just like, I know what you're going to say next. I'm kind of excited. And then that makes me like get stoked for it, get settled in. And even though it's a little bit different, I'm like, okay, we're going to do something different. All right, that's fine. But this is very familiar. So yeah, it, I think it begins. It, I, think it begins being, I think you're supposed to be off balance the whole time. For for me, it's like it began familiar, but a little bit different. And then as it got more and more different, it sort of like you got to roll with that difference until you were fully vibing on the radically different thing that was happening. Um, uh, moderate change of subject, and, and as I go mm-hmm. into radically different thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. Loki, the one off note of the movie. Mm, I'm not going to say one. The off note that stuck with me the most in this movie was the very end, which had a cover of, uh, I, I think it's it's the same Rage. It was the same Rage song, right? As the end of the first movie. I have no idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't, I do not pay that close attention to um, music. Well, I mean, no, like, like, like you, I... you know how the first Matrix ends is that like awesome Rage Against the Machine song as like he hangs up the phone and then flies off into space. I can picture the scene. I could not tell you what song is playing if you had a gun to my head. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I believe it. Oh, here's the thing. I'm like, I believe it's called Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine. But now I'm like, it's not actually called Wake Up, is it, Pete? Um, it might be. Uh, if it's, it is. Actually, so if it if they used a cover to end this movie, that's brilliant. Well, so so that's that's a power move. Yeah, so so it was definitely so the the ending of the first Matrix is in fact the song "Wake Up" uh, by Rage, and they used a cover of a Rage Against the Machine song as the ending for for Resurrections, and I'm ninety five percent sure it was a cover of "Wake Up." Um, That's incredible. It, the thing is, I didn't like it as a cover, and I was just like, "Oh no, oh we're doing the thing." Oh, I don't yes, like this because- version. Ugh. Because the fact that so much of this movie is a cover of the first one is the well, point. And here's the thing. Uh, it was a female singer doing the cover. Okay. Which I feel like taps into the Bukowskis a little bit. I mean, this movie is also a little bit looser with, like, gender and... It did this, not push it... things as hard as I would have maybe preferred, but... I th- This movie I would describe as gender fluid. Yeah, apparently, I was reading on Twitter, apparently their, um, 
I, I don't remember if it was a subtitle thing, mm. but there is an either a, an ADR recording of this movie or a version of the subtitles where Bugs is non-binary. Hmm. Like explicitly, yeah. not just like you, we never using, say their pronouns. Using they them pronouns type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I But I I, I don't know that definitively enough to be able to like yeah like i'm, I'm trying to go back and be intelligently like intelligently comment on it at any point did bugs get a pronoun drop like <laughs> yeah who can say yeah um, um but also like would not be surprised uh yeah, yeah. there's also there's also because like um, like regard like this movie is queer af regardless yeah it is definitely um i i do struggle a little bit with um trinity's storyline um because her whole deal is that the matrix or the analyst has trapped her in the simulation as a wife and mother and is using that as kind of a blindfold over her eyes so she doesn't remember who she was with neo i struggle just a little bit with that because on the one hand yes reject gender norms like that's cool but on the other hand i'm always a little leery of people who are like and it's a wrong choice to prioritize family but again i i think that might be a reductive reading of what is happening i think the vibe instead is that we're trying like they're trying to show like the many ways in which you know the matrix can put a blindfold over your eyes like for for neo it's his job for trinity it's Mm -hmm. family like not that these are are bad things inherently like it's good to be invested in your career just not you know to the exception of all else ditto with trinity like it's good to be invested in your family just not to the exception of all else uh and I, i think that's sort of the idea of like these are the systems of control that are used um and so, you know, not that they're inherently bad, but that that is what they are. And, you know, go into that with with eyes open. Um, saying that all the way through, it sounded way worse than uh, when I was just conceiving it in my mind. So, well, it's OK. <laughs> so Emily Vanderwerf wrote a essay about The Matrix 4 and how it deals with therapy and trauma and her um how it felt very personal to her because she could see aspects of how of her relationship with trauma echoed in the way that this movie um, deals with it. And something that she also wrote in this essay says, broadly speaking, resurrections is about systems of control that are used to keep us blinded to the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. For instance, the system of control that keeps Trinity from accessing her full power is her family. She's so focused on keeping up with her husband and kids that she loses sight of anything but them. The movie is not saying having a family is bad. It is saying that making any one thing, including your family, the only thing in your life is an easy path to losing sight of the ways in which you are capable of working with others. Oh no, I lost my place. No, uh, already. Thank you, Emily. Working with others for... to change in which you are capable of working with others to change the world. Thank you, Emily um, Vanderwerf, for saying way more uh, <laughs> clearly yes. what I was trying so, to convey. So <laughs> lest anybody think that that was an original thought that I had. Yeah, and, and also more importantly, ninety percent of what I was just saying, including dropping the phrase "systems of control," probably yes. stemmed well, from that reading was, that article. That was what made me think of it. Uh-huh. Also, just real quick side note, because I just remembered that I texted you this so that I wouldn't forget. Yes, um, Trinity's husband is played by Chad Stahelski. Uh, Ste- uh, yeah, Chad Stahelski, who not only directed all the John Wick movies. 
um, but also was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in the original Matrix trilogy. And like, and like the long, idea, long-term stunt double beyond just the Matrix. Yes, yeah. but the idea that the analyst has Trinity fake married or virtual married to off-brand Keanu Reeves is very amusing to me. Uh, and as I mentioned in text, I love any time the actor plays someone with their own name, so I love the fact that... Uh, <laughs> Chad Stahelski is playing a dude named Chad, and also that her husband's name is Chad. Uh, it's yes. all, and, and I know of Chad. He's a very lovely guy. Uh, I just, I, it's much like Karen. It's like, oh, I'm sorry that that's her name these days. Um, if we're if we're doing random one-offs, uh, I I love the fact that Morpheus in this is literally a computer program. When the entire like raison d'etre of Morpheus in the original trilogy is that he hates computers. <laughs> It's very good. Uh, well, and, and also, and I, I was, uh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that was such a cool way of bringing back that character. Like, I'm obviously super bummed that they couldn't get Lawrence Fishburne involved in this, but I know we were all like, <laughs> but I guess how he, is this gonna? How I mean, is this gonna work? We all knew that he died in that video game that we were all super invested in playing. Uh, so yeah, he, everyone. <laughs> Everyone has somebody. Every, everyone has been like, we know Morpheus is dead, right? So we can't possibly bring him back. When has somebody being dead in a major studio franchise movie ever stopped them from I, coming? Back? First off, Neo and Trinity both died in the in the third movie, so that. Yes. Also, I Very thought you were, I thought you were going to say, when has anyone ever played that game that you're talking about? Oh. <laughs> um, um the, my other side comment is I love seeing a Wolfgang from Sense 8 in this as another ship's captain. There were a couple of Sense 8 babies in here. I oh, enjoyed he it was, very much. He was the only one I pinged on. Um and then of course Jada Pinkett Smith with the excellent unexpected cameo. Uh I I did not know she was in this, so uh, when she rolled up, I was pretty, pretty stoked. Um, so I would like to turn our attention real quick. I'm not getting off the subject of Matrix 4. I am sure. simply looping another piece of media back into the conversation. We're we going into a mic. different CCTV camera screen on the bank of CCTV <laughs> cameras that we're all watching. So off mic, you and I were having a very spirited discussion about the Animatrix. Yes. Which is a movie that I adore and pete less so i think the vibes are good one of the things that i would like to say very explicitly one the thing that the the animatrix does so well is the weak point for me of the rest of these movies and that is all of these movies feel the need to over explain themselves like i truly could care less about the reasons the machines have for plugging us all into a simulation like doesn't matter to me i thought the weakest part of matrix 4 was neil patrick harris's way too long monologue about why he needs to keep gotta get more battery juice gotta pump those numbers no about why he needed to keep neo and trinity apart like i don't care he's he's gotta get them exactly close enough to make everyone else on edge and pump those energy numbers but too close and they explode and the thing about the animatrix is that it doesn't do that like so many of the segments except for the second renaissance which is the most um expository and also i think one the the weakest part because it's just like reading a textbook so many of those segments do not care about whether or not you explicitly know what's going on 
they take you for a ride. And at the end, you understand a little bit more about the world that the Matrix is operating in without having to be told anything like explicitly in black and white. And I think that the, the different stories in that do that really, really beautifully. And those parts always just thud for me in the movies. Like anytime somebody goes on for more than a couple of minutes, I'm like, why I don't (laughs) need this. So you definitely didn't like the architect scene at the end of matrix two. Uh, no, I didn't because I didn't <laughs> care. Right. Well, like, I was like, this is not necessary to my enjoyment of these movies. The the Animatrix is like ninety percent vibes and ten percent anything else. And when I those... don't think that's true. I don't think you're giving it enough credit. Well, sorry. Like, I'm. I I would also say that Cowboy Bebop the anime is like eighty five percent vibes. Um, I'm not using vibes as a bad thing. I'm describing it as a like, like no. But you're you're but like, taking so, it to mean you're you are implying at least, and if this is not your implication, please clarify for me. But you're implying a lack of substance. Um. No, that's not what I mean in this specific case. Sometimes it might be, but in this case, I would say that I think, but that 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 comment about it being so vibe heavy was going to segue into a comment of um. It, it it sounds like what does like if let me think about this like what you don't like is when the narrative grinds to a screeching halt so that some dude uh can explain to you what's going on and it which is a fair critique because that's maybe bad storytelling um but uh <laughs> <laughs> uh but like the animatrix is like we're going to show you through a 15 minute like sort of character study of a like some kids messing around in a house and then eventually it all gets blown up um and and it's like this it it by being shaggy and by being very impressionistic and vibe heavy you're able to just sort of like roll with it and get a impression. I if, talking this out is helping me a lot. Um, you have the hard logic of machines and the boisterous emotions of humans. When the architect is explaining what the what the heck is going on at the end of Matrix Two, that is a pure machine moment. It is all logic. It's a dude talking, explaining things. The animatrix is all human. It is all emotion and uh you know messiness and vibes and that is like that is the matrix wavelength that you uh work on the best um and so therefore like that is why the animatrix i think ranks so highly for you i guess i have trouble i guess and and like i'm not i'm not trying to weight either one of these as better or worse you know when i describe something as just being like pure vibes Mm mm-hmm it's like I'm listening to like industrial or techno music that has no lyrics. Mm. And so it's not saying anything. Sure. So that's, I guess that's where I'm getting hung up on is I don't think you and I use that phrase in the same way, in the same way. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I I guess. So, uh, (laughs) um, have you ever, uh, played or, or I'm sure you have heard of the, uh, tabletop RPG lasers and feelings. Yes. Great. This is a lasers and feelings situation. Hey, that's how I also found out about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I ran a one shot uh, and I might be running another soon. Who knows? Um, So this is that's 
that's as I'm I'm thinking through this, that's I think my thought process is that like the architect scene is all lasers and the animatrix is all feelings. And like different people vibe on those I'm using vibe in like three different ways here, so I'll not sure. use that word again. Uh <laughs> different people like vibrate on those wavelengths in different ways. And so like I I liked the history textbooks nature of uh, the second Renaissance. Uh, I thought it was all very silly, but I'm like, yeah, give me some story. Give me some history. That's great. Give me more of those lasers. And you're like, give me more of those feelings. So and I think Animatrix. I th yes. I'm like, architect, give me more philosophy nonsense. I think it's because I understand the world of the Matrix and the philosophy behind it better when it asks me to intuit what is happening, mm -hmm. which also I think is why I liked the fourth one so much. Here's the thing. I like, I am, I'm a big lasers guy in general, in terms of our lasers and feelings dichotomy. I'm going to run with this. Cause I think it actually explains a lot of the matrix and the inherent duality intentions of it. And why audiences had the opinions they did. Like I've, I am, I am a big logic guy. I like explaining things. I like the history stuff. I loved the fourth Matrix movie. I I think it's the, uh, in my definitive rankings that I tweeted out, I think it's the second best Matrix. Uh, I, so, yeah. I still put it, I still put it below the Animatrix. Sure. But in terms of, in terms of our core, like, canon story, it goes, yeah, it goes one, four, two, three. And I just, I loved that it was such a, such a pointed finger to people who like maybe watched the first one and were just like that was a raw as hell action movie it's like yes like, but also yeah <laughs> it is a like generational defining love story yes and i love that the gloves are just off about that in this in this movie well and like i i can remember going back 20 years now people have have said like uh, I mean, like, The Matrix is awesome, but it's so stupid that, like, you know, right as Joey Pants is gonna kill him, Tank wakes up and shoots him, Deus Ex Machina, am I right? And then, like, Trinity wakes him up with a kiss? What is this? This is nonsense. Uh, but that's dumb, and they're wrong. Yes. Um, so yes, I, I really appreciated that this movie is about the same things as the first one, but also... We are all a little older, we are all a little wiser, and we are all perhaps a little bit more motivated by our feelings than we were when we were 14. Well, that's not I mean, fair, like, like teenagers are only motivated by feelings. <laughs> we Do are, you we know are what better, I'm trying to say? I, like, we are better able to process and harness what those feelings are rather than just being like swirling cauldrons of them. And I think this is also another millennial thing, because I think that... We are a generation who is kind of defined, or we have become a generation that is kind of defined by how much we want to talk about our feelings and how much we want to define ourselves by Tell like me about it. astrology. Snowflakes left and right. But yeah, it's like we are all into <laughs> astrology or Myers Briggs tests or like choose your personality test flavor of choice here. They're all the same at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Um, but we have, I, like, we are not the disaffected generation X. We are not the, um, so this we are not the like overly patched in generation Z. Like this, this felt like the matrix property as a whole is now 35 and trying to buy a house. 
uh this this did feel very aggressively like uh i like maybe it's just because i'm a like i think we're both like central millennials right like we're sort yeah, of the middle are. of the millennial like it felt very targeted to me in a way that i thoroughly enjoy mm -hmm. please continue yes. making media directly for me yes uh, <laughs> um but like yeah like matrix one felt very aesthetically gen x you know goth uh, leather jackets hacker culture from the 90s whatever very gen x but then like that heart on the sleeve um you know, sentimentality mm -hmm. is not Gen X, and I think that's what sort of killed Matrix 2 and 3 in a way. Uh, that and the fact that they blew up the entire idea of it being a, a Hollywood hero's journey story uh, aggressively and with, like, maximum prejudice. Um, Listen, how dare you? I, I mean, like, no, I, I, that's not a critique. That's a statement of fact. <laughs> I know, but you keep talking about it. <laughs> um, but, like, you're, you're entirely right that that it is a it is a millennial er text and i think it's because we all grew up with it and so it became um it was a formative media for for our entire generation and one thing that formative media does is it shapes how we think and perceive of the world and so therefore you know by by being what it was then it almost led to its own creation again now of um, a nostalgia, but B like people are still using matrix terminology to describe things. And this like, obviously red pill is the most famous example, which maybe we should talk about, but maybe we shouldn't because it's exhausting to talk about. But like yeah. red pill as a term was co-opted by the alt-right back in like 2014. Uh, and then it was sort of unco-opted. And then like for a while, the narrative of the matrix was, it's a cool movie, and then for a while, it's like, ah, it's, it's like, an alt-right movie, and then it's like, it's an anti-feminist movie, because Trinity really doesn't have anything to do, and now it's like a trans movie, uh, and so, like, it keeps, it keeps morphing its identity as we keep sort of morphing our generational identity and our pop culture identity, and I think part of that is because we are perceiving the world through the lens that The Matrix gave us, um, because we were all, like, young enough to have, like, it being so formative, both, like, it imprinted on us in such a potent way that we then perceive the movies, like, we perceive the world through our pop culture uh, lenses. And so that shared language becomes a language in which to see the world through. Um, gonna so drop my favorite term of Ouroboros, so here we go, <laughs> Ouroboros. I just had to look up when Lana Wachowski was born, because I was curious as to what generation... They're totally Xers, right? Well, she was born in 1965, so she's actually oh. a cusp baby boomer Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. So it's like very early Gen X or very late boomer. But I, I feel like, you know, with, with the millennial Xers, you have millennial Xers who some feel more Xers and some feel more millennial, you know? Well, and I, 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 I feel like the Wachowskis feel very X and not millennial or sorry, and not boomer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's interesting um, to think about like the people who grow up or are exposed to a piece of media versus the people who are making it. Like, mm, yeah, the yeah. media, the media that kind of defines our generation is always, but well, that defines our generation when we're children is always going to be made by older people than we are. Uh, this is a wild tangent. Uh, Craig Finn, lead singer of the Hold Steady is call him 15 years older than me uh and i i 
have loved every Hold Steady record out that has come out because it feels like it's like hitting me at a very pivotal moment and speaking to me in meaningful ways. And he recently said in an interview that he writes all his songs like the like speaking to himself 10 years ago. So he's basically hmm. like we happen to be aged such that he's basically writing all his music for me. <laughs> <laughs> like huh this would explain why every old city record album every old city uh record i'm like uh-huh uh-huh okay oh oh this one's like less into partying and more into like retrospectives and like why partying all the time is bad for you hmm weird that i feel the same <laughs> way too <laughs> uh anything else we would like to talk about re the matrices i just want to throw out that matrix 4 had one of my favorite movie tropes which is we're doing a heist and we're going to explain each step of the heist and then show it to you and then explain the next step and then show that uh i also enjoy that it is hollywood needs to do that more often because every time i see it i'm just like yes this is all i want in movies <laughs> tell Love me what you're gonna do show me you do it successfully tell me the next step Love seeing priyanka chopra jones I great. I learned when I saw this in theaters that she married a Jonas because I thought she was still Priyanka Chopra. Oh my god. Peter. This was I know it was like five years ago that they married. <laughs> I am very out of touch. <laughs> um My favorite part my favorite part about that were the people who were like now she'll be famous because she married a Jonas brother. I'm like, mm. mm. She's already wildly, famous. She's wildly famous in India, my dude. Yeah. Like, also, like, I knew about her. I'm not tapped into, like, that aspect of media. I knew about her. Did not know she married a Jonas. So, um, what, uh, so one, one thing that struck me, um, the, uh, Neo is, er, uh, Thomas Anderson is working on a new video game called Binary at the start of the movie before, you know, Jonathan Groff tells him that we're going to make another Matrix. Um, and I, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, I think I understand what's going on, but, like, with all the other themes of the movie, I think Dyad, this is very pedantic, and I'm sorry to drag you into this, uh, Dyad might have been a better term for that game, because, like, that seems, like, the theme of this movie is, like, the love Dyad of Neo and Trinity. Um, and I think that's very intentional. Here's the thing, Pete. Uh-huh. They needed to use a word that people would actually understand. That's fair. I've never heard that word before. You've heard and uh, I am a I, I am a pretty smart person. I, I have to disabuse you of this because you've heard it in the worst possible context. Uh you see in whatever the last Star Wars movie is, uh Ray and Kylo are a force dyad. Uh, which is a term that is used a few times. So if you saw that Sky Skywalker, that's the one, uh, you've heard the term dyad. <laughs> which shows you just <sighs> how much I cared about the I, rise of Skywalker. I, I, like, the, the word dyad popped into my mind at the end of this film because I'm like, that's a better term than binary. Why didn't they use that? I'm like, dyad. That's Does a real word. I like, I'm like, that's a real word, right? And I looked it up and like, nobody knows oh, force dyad. I don't want it to be that. Also, there, yeah, right. Um, loved that Warner Brothers let them keep the very savage uh -huh. anti Warner Brothers joke. <laughs> I, I I knew it was coming because like three reviews I'd read had already like referenced it. But even then, sitting in the theater, hearing them say that, I'm just like, <laughs> cool. 
Uh, hated the new Warner, like, I, every time I see it, I hate the new Warner Brothers shield, even if you make it Matrix green. Looks stupid. Um, I have no opinions about that. All right, fair enough. Uh, but yes, every part of this movie is, like, self-referential, but not... See, I'm I'm used to, I'm used to media that references itself doing it as a, like... Like an eye wink. Or doing it as a plea for affection, uh-huh. which is like, hey, look what I'm doing. Do you like this? Or and in this movie, it felt kind of hostile. Yeah, it's 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 either the like, hey, like me because you like this other thing or be the like, did you catch the 32 Easter eggs in the new Doctor Strange movie? Uh, only true Marvel fans would know that uh, Dormammu is a demon from episode 52 of Doctor Strange. Uh, I'm going to get dragged so hard on the internet for all of that because I made that all up off the top of my head, but, um... You're not because no one listens to our show. That's so true, fine. that's true. Please, <laughs> drag me, please! I'll <laughs> um, but, like, somewhat related, and, and thinking about, like, just millennial pop culture writ large, I like the idea of, like, the swarm for the, the agents, but at the end, it felt a little, like, zombie movie-y, which, on the one hand, I was like, boring, don't care. And on the other hand, it's like, zombies are, like, the millennial pop culture movie villain, other than superheroes, like, writ large, I liked it. So. I liked it more than everybody turning into Agent Smiths. Huh. Like, it... Which is what we have already seen kind right. of happen. Like, you, you liked it because it was new and different? Or, like... No, I liked it because it spoke more to what the relationship that this matri- that this iteration of the Matrix has to its populations. Like, this this is a, a Matrix that I think is more in control. Like, this is a Matrix that is puppeting its people stronger than iterations we have seen in the past. I mean, so I... So, in, that, in it, that sense, it felt more true to what the analyst was doing. It's also a much more accurate description of the internet now. Like, in 1999, the, it, like, you know, it's the X-Files, so it's like, the government is gonna come and take you away in a black van. And now it's, you're gonna get cancelled on Twitter by a mob of, like, randos. I would say doxed on Twitter, rather than sure, cancelled. Fair, fair, fair enough. The, use the use people, your preferred term, yeah. Well, and also because the people that the Twitter mobs tend to go after are not the people that cancel culture is going after like those are two kind of different things sure also cancel culture is kind of fake um oh, cancel culture is absolutely fake louis ck has a new comedy special coming out like <laughs> no consequences not, for anyone it's great for white men thing. it's great yeah no consequences uh, for white men yeah yeah uh the sequel to the coen brothers film um <laughs> uh so yeah i i i did like that the like, the swarm sort of spoke to what internet is now, in a way that, mm-hmm. like, the agents spoke to what, like, what the, the biggest concern of the world then was, like, secret government agents, and now it's, you know, the mob, uh, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to do your definitive Matrix ranking? I think I already did. Okay. It's, I... mat- it's Matrix 1, Animatrix, Matrix 4, Matrix 2, Matrix 3. Cool. Uh, mine is Matrix 1, uh, and then Matrix 4, Matrix 2, Animatrix, uh, Matrix 3, not the Battle of Zion part, and then at the very bottom, Matrix 3, Battle of Zion part. Because even as a 14-year-old mm-hmm. in the movie theater, that was interminable and not fun. 
I can't believe you're putting the animatrix that low. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. You can be wrong. <laughs> okay. well, I, I've seen all of these very recently, so I don't have, I have no qualms about putting Matrix 4 and 2 above Animatrix for me. Listen, uh, it is okay to admit that you did not understand a piece of art. Uh, it's okay for different strokes <laughs> for different folks, and I'll I'll balance the, the wild inconsistencies of both Animatrix and Matrix 2 in different ways. Uh... Uh, honestly, the the burly brawl scene in Matrix Two is down there at the bottom with Battle of Zion for Matrix Three, but uh, I didn't. I at that point I couldn't cut too many hairs. I st- I also think you're cutting too many hairs by splitting <laughs> by splitting out. Matrix Three. Well, also, it's not like you're putting anything in between those two things. No, I just so want to express my just, incredible yeah, disdain. You just wanted and to talk about how you didn't like that scene. <laughs> it's like forty five minutes of the movie. <laughs> Like what if Helm's Deep but bad and interminable? Uh, yeah, I think I'm cutting us off at that, this point. That's good. That's good. I, <laughs> I I was asking your rankings to lead us oh, into yes. the outro. Yes, it's the it's the first one because that movie is unimpeachable. It changed the way that yeah. movies are made. It yeah. changed the kinds. It changed cinema, um, and has become sort of a a generational defining movie. Um. And then it's the Animatrix because, as I said, I think it is art. I think each one of those is a delicious little nugget of information. And when you're done watching it, you understand the world more than you did um, when you began. Uh, Then it's the fourth one because the fourth one is the first one, but with feelings. And then it's (laughs) two because two is still pretty fun. My biggest issue with two is the um, oops all Smiths fight at the end. No, Which that's... I think goes on for too long, and the CG isn't good enough to kind of give it the weight that it needed. You're you're talking about the fight in the middle, uh, the burly brawl in like the schoolyard or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's like in 45 minutes in the movie, and I agree is the worst part of that film because it looks awful these days. Yes, but it also has that highway car chase scene, which, which is, is great. One of the best parts of it, uh, one of the best action sequences put to film. Yes, and then we have three, because I think three gives up a lot of what made the first one special um, in order to give us sort of a reductive savior plot. Um, there, there's that, that. that was way too concerned about making sense. I did not need it to explain itself that much. Yeah, three is also wildly inconsistent in both tone and quality, and it just whiplashes back and forth. So it is it's the least pleasurable to watch. Agreed. So we are going to wrap up our discussion on the matrices right now, because I think that if given our druthers, we would go all night. And honestly, I have to get up and go to work tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, next episode uh, will release after the new year, but we are going to be talking about our 2021 top 10 list, uh, as is our want. So stay tuned for that. Uh, In the meantime, you can follow the show on social media platforms everywhere at DYDYH Podcast. You can listen to our sister show, Love Ya, which Pete's wife Marin and I do on the same feed as this one, where we talk about an adult uh, romantic comedy or a teen film. Our last episode for the year was on A Castle for Christmas on Netflix. We are taking a one-episode hiatus while I finish closing on my new house. Woohoo! Uh, and crossed. then we will be 
back with an unspecified teen film uh, following our top 10 episode. Pete, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, that's P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm literally right now composing a tweet about how you can understand the Matrix via the lasers and feelings dynamics. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a good, a good line. <laughs> um, uh, I mostly talk about politics and pop culture, though, so. You can follow me on social media at Magical Martha on all the places. Uh, the most recent thing I tweeted about the new matrix is, is that you dragging me about it oh no nope, that's right it yeah, exists exactly where i want a matrix movie to exist so far up its own ass it's using itself as a puppet parentheses this is not sarcasm uh nor is it a bad thing yeah no yeah. <laughs> uh you can also read my newsletter which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash magical martha uh, my most recent issue is about all of the holiday movies that i watched in december it was not quite a movie a day between thanksgiving and christmas but i got real close i think i did 26 movies in 30 days which is still a lot of movies that's actually very impressive thank you they were very split between movies i liked movies i thought were fine and <laughs> movies i did not care for <laughs> yeah uh i mean just good on you for watching so many christmas movies i watched Muppet Christmas Carol, after our discussion at the end of last episode about Christmas Carol. I mean, uh, I also watched a Muppet Christmas right. Carol. I just didn't count it in my total. Right. I didn't even watch Elf this year, which is wild to me. But No, I watched Noel on Disney+, Plus, which is like Elf, but less good. <laughs> womp womp. Eh, whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Oh, Catch oh us. Uh, did you say what we're doing next time? Yeah, top 10 of Great. 2021. Cool. I was composing this tweet not paying attention sorry how dare you sorry <laughs> uh but you can catch us on all social media platforms i already said that you can listen to us on apple Podcasts, uh stitcher soundcloud wherever you know where to find us if you're listening to us now thank you all for listening we will see you in a couple of weeks and until then enjoy doing your homework class dismissed So that's not quite going to be a two-hour episode.